I think it's something that I have my heart and soul in that I've a number of times said, you know what, I'm not going to do it no more. Um, I've had my day and it's in my blood. So you, you couldn't get rid of me if you tried. For the past little while on Dirty Linen, we have been asking a big question. Is hospitality broken? We've had a lot of response to this series. We've kicked off with two Alexes, Alex Elliot Howery from Corner Smith in Sydney, who announced that she was closing her beloved cafe because it was just too hard to make a profit. We followed that up with Alex Pritchard from Icebergs in Sydney, an iconic restaurant that even though they've got 21 years of history and a loyal customer base, even they are feeling the strains and certainly noticing it in um, the businesses of their friends and uh, colleagues around them. Today, we are heading to Melbourne. We're chatting to a longtime independent restaurateur, Kemal Barut. Uh, Kem owns a couple of restaurants on the south side, Tulum and Lizette. Kem- Kamal, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you so much, Danny, for having me on. It's great to have you on. I know that you work super hard in and on your businesses. For people who don't know the restaurants, can you tell us a little bit about them? Um, well, Tulum's, Tulum, uh, Lizette's been around for, I think, 21, yeah, 21 years now. Um, it's a bistro-style Turkish dining, modern Turkish, contemporary flavours. Uh, Tulum's been around uh, for about seven seven years now, I believe. Um, we've got George Gunusal, which manages the kitchens. Um, they're both 50, 60-seaters. Uh, we've also branched off to do a little burger uh, shop. Um, started one in Elwood, and we've got another one kicking off in Chatsum. Oh, I did not know about the Chadston one. That's very interesting. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So, Kim, you would have seen it all, really, in 20 years, a lot of ups and downs. Tell us about the industry landscape as you see it now. Well, the industry has changed dramatically. I mean, I've been cooking going on to 30 years now, almost 30 years. So, it back, I mean, going back 20 years ago when, when I first started at Lizette, <coughs> There was, I mean, labour-wise, it was it was a different dynamic. Um, the cost of goods were very different. The rents were very different. Um, you were able to, you know, get if if you were, you were able to get into the game fairly quickly. Um, nowadays, I mean, you've got to really either have a have an investor or a or a backer of some sort, or refinance your home, as a lot of people do. And they, you know, because they don't have that that much experience, they end up losing their homes. Um, it's become a very, it's become a lot more dangerous now than what it was a few years ago. Yeah, wow. And what sort of impact has it had on your businesses? Uh, well, our businesses, we've tried to have a product that kind of hits different sides of the market. So you've got an everyday product like a burger, burger shop that people dine at, you know, once or twice a week. So you've got to kind of focus on your cash flow and not put all your eggs into one basket is the kind of recommendations that I give people that are considering even getting into the game. Um, you've got your bistro dining, which is Lizette, and then you've got your premium dining, which is Tulum. So we, we, we've felt a little hit across the board, which is very strange at times because if you're talking about something like a recession-based or a, you know, uh, people you know, trying to deal with high interest rates and so on, 
Generally, your premium product would get hit first. But once they all get hit, it's very it's it's a strange feeling because then something else is going on. Yeah, so um, you know, labor costs have gone up, your ingredients have gone up, all the rents are very premium now. Um, just across the board with taxes and you know dealing with landlords and so on, everything's become a little bit more difficult. Ah, that sounds really tough. And I mean, you mentioned that the hospitality landscape was really different when you started. And I think across the board, we could say that, you know, there was a lot more, things were a little bit looser, like people were perhaps, I don't know, paying cash, people weren't keeping such close track of their hours. The industry certainly um, made changes across the board in terms of, you know, compliance um, and regulations. I mean, has that been... um, has that had to be absorbed by businesses or have you been able to pass those costs on to customers? So back, back years ago, I'll give you an example. There was, there was a time where we had a lot of premium high-end chefs that were world acclaimed that would have people all around the world coming here to go, come work for them. And there was a thing called, you know, I don't know how much it was monitored back then, but a lot of people were saying, you know, I'll come work as long as I get to work under you and get my experience. Um, a lot of people travel to London for this. A lot of people travel to France for this. A lot of people travel to the United States for this to work under certain chefs so they can, they can get certain experience under them. That was quite popular going back 10 years ago. So people would come and inquire with chefs that we don't have anymore. They've all moved on. So the best of the chefs in the world would come to Melbourne and it was the best city in the world to come compete. It was the most competitive, but it was a good landscape to compete. Now those chefs aren't coming. Now the chefs that were good, that were born and bred in Melbourne, that left to go train overseas and have come back home, are leaving again because the landscape isn't right. Mm. Then what do you think's wrong with the landscape? Well, a lot of our, I personally think a lot of our labour laws need to change. Um, to allow for, like, for example, if you want to go to a law firm and work at a certain law firm and learn off that law firm, you're able to work certain hours to clock up certain level of experience. Now, a lot of people, it's we, we just can't do it now. The, those labour laws aren't in place. So yeah. there's, there's a minimum wage requirement. So, I mean, in, in my day, you had to assess whether... So let's say someone would say to you, okay, look, I'm willing to work for uh, X amount, for example, or I want to come work for you, but I'm, I'm, I'm valuing my experience through you. So he's being paid in experience as opposed to a monetary exchange. Yeah, I mean, certainly that was really normal in the industry until, you know, relatively recently. I mean, it's it's a tricky one because I, I hear you about people gaining experience and, you know, they do those, um, yeah, internships, stages, um, unpaid apprenticeships, whatever you want to call them. I mean, what what's the – do you think there's a flip side to that? You know, like some people today would say that, you know, everyone should. It's it, everyone deserves to be paid for any hours worked. That it's exploitative for somebody to be in a business and not get paid. Do you think there is another another way of looking at it? No, I, I definitely agree with these people that say, look, um, everyone should be paid the same. I completely agree with that to a certain extent. Um, certain people that have much more experience, I don't think should be paying 
getting paid with someone that doesn't have much experience at all. There should be a major gap. So it, strive, it gives that person something to strive for. Um, but in that, I think it ultimately should be up to the individual to say, look, I'm actually okay to work for, I don't know, call it a figure, but I'm actually okay to work for this. I don't want to stick to the minimum wage because I want to learn off this person in particular. Now, when someone like a, a lawyer goes, works at the bar or works under a certain judge or a barrister or a QC or something, there's a lot of allowance made for that person to learn off that in certain individual. Um, it doesn't, like in the finance industry, is the same too. Now, those laws don't kind of, it, there's, there, there needs to be a little bit of flex. I think there needs to be a little bit of flex for it. So if they want to make an independent arrangement outside of that minimum requirement, that there should be an option to do so because it kind of locks up. But in saying that too, um, if someone does want to learn off a particular person and they're willing to take a, a salary cut of whatever sort, they need to make sure they have their finances well enough because we, we live in the most, probably the, one of the most expensive cities in the world at the moment. So even if he was going to take a cut, um, that individual needs to make it like rent's very expensive, cost of living's very expensive, transport's very expensive. Um, so the dynamics of that whole thing has changed. Back when Melbourne was a cheaper city to live in, it was half acceptable, but it's not the case anymore. Yeah, I mean, we heard from Alex Pritchard at Bondi Icebergs talking about chefs that, you know, he felt would do well to get experience, you know, in his kitchen for a couple more years, but they were offered $20,000 extra to go and, you know, be a head chef at some new, you know, restaurant at the bottom of an apartment development or wherever it might be. And it's, because of the cost of living, it's really hard for young chefs, I suppose, to, to stay in kitchens, get the experience that they want. Um I guess, to the overall detriment of the dining landscape or the skills landscape. Um, but it is really, it, you know, as you say, like people have to make decisions that suit their own finances. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very, these are very expensive cities to live in. Um, I mean, what do you think are the implications for, for restaurants generally or for diners such as myself who love to, love to go and experience um, different restaurants? Do you, do you think that um, this changed landscape means that there's a, I don't know, is, does it make restaurants more boring? Does it mean there's not as much skill? I think I think we're, we're, we're kind of directed towards, if things don't change, I think we are directed towards an automated industry where there are going to be, like if you look around with cafes now, for example, because things are so expensive, Staff-wise, um, the, the will, a majority of them have opted to get a lot of things in. So you walk into a cafe and the one cafe looks exactly like the other cafe because they get their, their pastries from a certain pastry place. There's one or two guys on the coffee machine and there's only one or two guys in the kitchen. Uh, Ten years ago, that wasn't the case. Everyone cooked their own individual displays. So what I meant by automation is... You'll, you'll start to realise more and more, like a lot of these kebab shops, they only really buy their meat and their supplies from one or two suppliers. So they've all be pretty much become distribution centres. So the creativity and the uniqueness of certain venues will deteriorate. The number of them will deteriorate. 
Yeah, that's that's really sad to me because I love going in there and, you know, those small businesses, you want to see that creativity and drive. But I think when people are so stretched, they do have to wonder where they can, you know, save a bit on labour. Um, yeah, and even creativity, like it's some t- if you're struggling so much in a business, it can be hard to, you know, think about the next exciting pastry flavour to make, I, w- I would imagine. I mean, Kim, you've talked about, you know, one strategy that you've employed is to have these different, st- different businesses that hit at different levels that people are going to use in different ways. What other kinds of strategies um, could you suggest for people to think about when they're, they're looking at, you know, how to tighten up their business, how to... Um, yeah, look after their staff, how to keep um, energised and creative to run these businesses? I would I, I would definitely recommend not putting all the eggs in one basket. So, for example, if they if they had a restaurant and they strictly was a restaurant, the easiest example is maybe, maybe just offer, offer a takeaway list, maybe with four or six items on there that people can take away. It might generate a thousand bucks a week. I don't know. But you need that little constant income that comes in so everyone experiences a busy uh, a, you know a quiet day a quiet week and that puts a lot of strain on because then you get, you've got to play catch up but if you've got different avenues to kind of rely on it does take a little bit of, of the edge off and um, if you've got financial stress I, I believe people that creativity kind of goes out the window because the, the stress is different now. You're not stressing about food. You're stressing about, you know, are we going to survive the week? Are we going to survive the month? So um, trying to diversify within your venues the operations that you do. So you're going to create something unique that's unique to you. And if that means you've got to, for example, if you're a cafe and you have a signature uh, pastry or a signature dessert, that everyone comes in for. That's that one thing that everyone comes in for. You can't do that when you're relying on one supplier trying to automate your business. And what about staffing? I mean, you know, we were messaging earlier in the week and you were talking about um, some of the differences that you've seen in staff availability. So Uber, Uber played a big ticket during that COVID period. So even when we would reopen after a call it lockdown one, two or three. Um, so a lot of people were still opting to, you know, stick to their Uber routes because it was it was so they weren't governed like because we we have a lot of students that come come and go working for us. Their hours aren't governed. So they're they're able to clock it up to 50, 60 hours, 80 hours at times to work the hours that they want. And where if they work for a restaurant, it's all limited. They can only do 24 hours now. So um, it is, it is quite. It's a hard one because their 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 cost of living is so high. So you almost you got to put them on a salary that um, they're comfortable with. I'll put it. But there's always going to be someone that outbids you. There's always going to be someone that's more desperate. There's always going to be someone that needs them because they've worked for you or. Um, you know, they're in a bit of a pickle and their head chef just walked out and they need someone now. Yeah, that's um, 
that must be really challenging because yeah I mean I hadn't really thought about that because as you as you say like international students are permitted to work 48 hours a fortnight or yeah 24 hours a week but if they're if they're you know an independent contractor as um, it's structured with one of the platforms then I guess um yeah there's no one really monitoring um, how many hours they're working and I don't know how anyone could live on 24 hours a week work in a big city like Melbourne or Sydney that would just be super challenging yeah so all all that's happened is um the governing body has spoken to the students and they've said look you know it was 20 hours before and they've increased it to 24 to say okay we'll make an allowance and it can go up to 24 hours and we'll increase the minimum wage now all you've really done is it's costing everyone else more money so coles put their prices up Restaurants have put their prices up. Burger shops have put their prices up. Veggie shops have put their prices up. So we haven't really fixed anything. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the inflation that um, the interest rates are trying to peg back, but there's a lot of pain along the way. Um, tell me about the Chadston uh, venture, Kamal. Like, what may, makes you want to go into a big shopping centre? What do you think the challenges are going to be and, and what are the opportunities? It's not right inside the shopping centre. It's just outside. So there's Murrumbina Station there. Um, it's Murrumbina Road, to be exact. And basically, um, a similar situation to what I'm speaking about now. The, 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 local government, the local councils have experienced a big downturn in planners because they can't get staff. So people, whoever's applying for a permit, hasn't been able to get a permit. So this area's kind of turned into a little, like a little ghost town because there's, everything's gone up for lease or for sale. And we've found this corner corner position where it's opposite a park and a, and a station, opposite the school, and um, we've decided to expand on our burger shop, which is doing relatively well. And um, we're doing uh, burgers and ice cream. Soft serve, uh, self-serve ice cream. Oh, sounds good. I would definitely have yeah. an ice cream from there <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's frozen yogurt and yeah, our burgers that you know of. Yeah, okay. Interesting. So, you know, you work with um, Josh Kanoisel, as you mentioned, the chef at Tulum. He's a very creative fellow um, and really, I think, you know, doing so much work in in creating a new language for Anatolian cuisine. Um, I'm a big fan of, of what he does. What, um, I mean, do you try to insulate him from these business pressures, do, you know, so that he can stay creative or is, you know, his creativity part of the solution for the um, economic tricky times? Josh Gunn is very, very good at what he does. He's very creative. His mind's, I mean, we'll look at a dish I'll create something. I mean, my, my background's in the kitchen too, so I'll create something thinking it's it's the bee's knees, it's the best thing that I've done, and then he touches it and then it completely becomes something different. So that's his gift, yeah? So he's, he's phenomenal in that when he he looks at it from a different scope or from a different set of eyes. And it's it's a great, uh, I'll call it a marriage you know, so we, we make a great team in that sense where we understand each other. But with all chefs, we all, you know, we've all gone through the hurdles of sacrificing all our nights. We've sacrificed our birthdays, our celebrations. We've sacrificed, so we understand each other in that sense. So you don't want to think 
outside of if you're in the if you're in the kitchen, you don't want to think outside of the kitchen. So someone has to be focused outside of that kitchen. So someone takes care of those pressures, and so it enables you to keep your focus on the food or within within the business. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to I tend to be the one that kind of absorbs that pressure. And and we manage each other in that sense. So I, I don't know about every little micromanaged item in the kitchen and I don't kind of pass on that every bit of pressure that we feel on the outside world to him. So, Kamal, you know, I don't know how deep you want to go here, but I know that, you know, pe- other people we've spoken to, you know, that pressure is, is quite immense and it can it'd be really difficult to carry, especially when, you know, you've got um, business partners, staff that are relying on you, not to mention your family. Um, What strategies do you use or could you recommend to anyone to, you know, keep a level head, to keep upbeat and optimistic when things do get pretty tricky? Look, I think everyone needs, especially in this game, you need to have... um, they say, you know, don't plan your divorce when you're getting married. It's one of those things, like, you need to know when to get out. You need to know which hits you can absorb and which ones are, you know, like, we're not going to be able to take this one, we have to let go of something. So I think that comes with experience. A lot of people um, that, that go out um, solo or start their own gig, I think it's important that you do get mentored for the first few years at least, by someone that you trust. So in, in the case of me, it was someone that it was like um, it's like a big brother figure that, that mentored me for years when I, when I started, because I was in my early 20s. And it, it takes time because you, you don't know which, which one the right move is. And everyone might be going towards the left, but you might have to go towards the right. And it's something that I definitely – definitely would recommend being mentored by someone that you have worked with, that you have worked underneath, so at least they understand you as a character and they understand the business that you're in. Mm, That's excellent advice. And I think sometimes people are scared to ask for help or for advice, but um, I think people love to feel useful and – and, yeah, when people have been through it themselves, they generally do have a lot of wisdom to share. And I guess it's also it's about listening and, you know, what they suggest you might know in your heart. It's not the right way for you to go, but at least you've been able to bounce the ideas around. Yeah. And sometimes the right thing for me to do might not necessarily mean it's the right thing for you to do. So I might push through with something that's, that I think is worth the risk. But... Um, for example, if you're, um, you know, you're a single mum and you've got your two kids at home and that's your restaurant, but you might risk not seeing them for a good portion of time. That's not worth the risk. Like every, everyone's instances are different. So that's why I say the individual is very important and the person that's mentoring you is very important. But in saying that too, I mean, people have just got to be comfortable because you have to, I mean, like the show is called Dirty Linen. You've got to be able to be able to talk about your problems openly without feeling like um, either you're not strong enough or, you know, you're not, you have to, you have to cross that bridge. So, Kem, 
you know, we've asked this question, is hospitality broken? What's your answer? <laughs> I, th- I definitely think it needs to be fixed. I think it's something that I have my heart and soul in that I've a number of times said, you know what, I'm not going to do it no more. Um, I've had my day and it's in my blood. So you, you couldn't get rid of me if you tried, yeah, but it's something that could be, you know, we, we, were, we were rated the best city in the world, most livable city in the world. We gave the keys to Dan Andrews and we've give, been given back something that's completely broken now. We're, we're in, you know, we're in a lot of debt as a state. Um, uh, our rentals are through the roof. We've got a housing crisis. Um, we've got a lot of issues outside of hospitality that we have to fix, but we need good leadership. That will fix hospitality amongst everything else. Um, well, maybe you'll uh, run for parliament, Kamal, and start sorting start sorting it all out. Um, uh, why did I feel that question coming? <laughs> I don't know. I think you, wanted, you must have wanted me to walk into that one. Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, a lot of what we're experiencing in Melbourne is felt you know, not only around Australia, but also around the world. It's certainly, it's, it's, it's tough times um, for a lot of economies. Uh, but certainly, yeah, good leadership is something that, you know, every jurisdiction needs all the time. And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think we need a leader that can say no from time to time. Like, I always say, you know, like the example I give is, you know, like you'll go ask your mum for something and then she'll say, no, no, no. And then you say, okay, well, I'm going to go higher. And then she'll say, well, go speak to your dad. And no one really had, I mean, in my day, no one was even brave enough. I mean, my kids asked me for any, everything, but I wasn't brave enough to ask my dad. So that level of strength that we know, okay, he's got our best interests at heart, but trusting that, he, trusting in his leadership, I think is more... And we've become quite critical because things have gotten so bad through, throughout that COVID period, especially. Kem, you've certainly raised a lot of issues and I'm very heartened to hear that you're finding your way through them for your own businesses. Um, yeah, re- best of luck with the new shop and I look forward to coming down for an ice cream. Um, so I guess your, your answer is hospitality's got a chance. It's a little bit broken, but... Um, We've, we've, uh, thanks for airing some ideas about how to fix it. Yeah, we, we definitely have the blueprint to bring it back because you've done it before. We've had the world's best coming to the city to compete. So we've got the blueprint for it, but unfortunately we changed things along the way that, that was in hope of improvement but didn't. It went the other way. Um, thanks so much for your insights. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.